This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. If if you've grown up with a kid in your house, you've probably heard some version of this little riddle, this little trick, uh, this little joke, uh, and it goes like this, Pete and repeat, sitting on the fence, Pete fell off, who's left? Okay, so Pete and repeat, we're sitting on the fence, and Pete falls off, who's left? So Pete and (laughs) repeat. If you've, if you've lived in a house with a child who learned that little trick, um, it can be maddening <laughs> because you got to find a way to shut it down, right? you got to find a way to, so, so let's do it one more time, Pete and repeat. Yeah, how many of you never heard this? Anybody never heard this? Okay, let's do it again then. Okay, this is great. Uh, Pete, let's see if you can get the answer right. Pete and repeat are sitting on the fence. Pete falls off. Who's left on the fence? All right. Uh, okay, I'll repeat it. Uh, Pete and repeat. <laughs> in, our, in our text this morning in Luke chapter 20, um, the, the scribes and the chief priests, are, they're, trying to, they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to get Jesus with a, with a, a, a riddle of sorts, a question. They're trying to... They're trying to trip him up. Let me give you the context, ex- explain what we're going to see in the text, and then we'll read it together. So Jesus had just got through t- uh, telling a, a parable, a story, uh, and the story was about a man that, that owned land, and he gave a portion of the land, rented it out to people um, to, to kind of harvest their crops there. And so as payment, they were, they were going to get, uh, the man was going to get crops back. So he sent one of his servants to go and get the crops, and they beat him up, and and kicked him out of the vineyard, and then so he sent another servant to get the crops back, and he, they beat him up, kicked him out. Third time they sent a third, a third servant, he sent them to the land uh, to get the, the harvest, and they beat him up and kicked him out of the land. He said, okay, I'll send my son, and he sends his son, and they, they, they kill him. And, and so the religious leaders perceived and understood that Jesus was telling this parable like about them. It's, it's it's, it's illustrating how Jesus had sent the prophets and God's people had hardened their hearts to the prophets and had treated the prophets poorly. And, and now he's focusing on the religious leaders because now they're rejecting the prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They're rejecting him. So he tells this parable and they realize he's telling it about them and, and they're, they're infuriated. <laughs> so, so they decide that they're going to try to trick Jesus. And so they send spies uh, pretending to be uh, sincere. They send these spies and they ask Jesus this question about, like, should we pay tribute? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And they think they've got him. Uh, they think they've got him because, let me just kind of explain the context for you and then we'll read the text. They think they've got Jesus because uh, if Jesus says, yes, you should pay, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar, um, then Israel 
had suffered under Roman oppression, hated Rome, uh, and, and they, they really wanted to see a, a revolt against Rome, and they were hoping that Jesus might lead that effort. And so if Jesus answered, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, then, um, then he, he, he was risking having Israel, who he had a lot of favor with, the people that were following him, he was risking having them upset. So if he said, okay, uh, if he answers their question, uh, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, um, then, then they could do exactly what they were trying to do, is to report him to the authorities for treason, like disrupting the empire. They could have taken him right to the authorities and turned him over and jailed him and, and done away with, with Jesus. So this is what they were, they were seeking to do. But Jesus has a great answer. And if you've read through the scripture before, if you've, you give to Caesars what is Caesars and what is God to God's. And that's what we're going to see in the text together. And we're going to unpack this. So look at this with me in Luke chapter 20, picking up in verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. Let's just pause there. So, so they were afraid that if they came after Jesus, that the people would come after them because Jesus had gained favor with the people. Look at verse 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere. Let's just pause there. Our mantra here at Real Life is keep it real. Keep it G. You guys are good. That's good. 830. I wasn't expecting it. I don't know why. I should have been expecting it, but if you're new to real life, our mantra is keep it real, keep it Jesus. And here's one of the precise reasons why. Look back at verse 20 with me. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere. It's, it's so easy to pretend in the presence of God. It's so easy to put on a mask and put on a face and act like you're something that you're not. And we just want to say keep it real. And you come back to me and say keep it Jesus. And I say to you, keep it real. Don't try to pretend in God's presence. And you say, you just keep giving us Jesus. Verse, verse 20, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute or... Another way to say taxes. Is, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? There it is. There's the, the Pete and repeat or sitting on the fence. Question. They think they've got him. Verse 23. But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. And a denarius was a, a coin that represented a full day's wage. Show me a denarius whose, like, whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. It was Tiberius Caesar Augustus here. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. I, I haven't found like a good way to stop the whole Pete and repeat thing, but Jesus found a good way to stop the religious leaders in their trick. 
They thought that they had him with this question. They, th they thought that they were going to, aha, Jesus, there's no way out. And Jesus kind of transcends their question. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they would have understood, oh, like we, we, we belong to God. We, that he's calling us to give ourselves to God. And, and that's not what they wanted. So why? Here's the big question that I want to ask this morning. Why were the religious leaders so determined uh, to take Jesus out? Why were they so determined to eliminate Jesus? Why were they so determined to deliver him up to the governing authorities? Why were they so determined? Well, certainly the context tells us that they were upset because they knew that the parable was about them. Jesus had just told a parable of judgment against them. But the big picture, they continue to do this all through the Gospels. We see this is what they were seeking to do all the time. So why were they doing it? Well, we saw this in a previous text. But the simple reason why is that they did not want to let go of their authority. They didn't want to let go of their authority. Understand this, that these, these, these scribes, these chief priests, they had become these elite people in the religious community. They had status. They had popularity more than that they had authority so folks would come to them and say what does this scripture mean and, and and they loved the power years ago i heard a pastor tell me and i didn't understand it at the time i was a young man he said he said he said people will lust for power in the same way they lust for sex and i understood what it meant to lust for sex but i didn't understand at the time what it meant to lust for for power and these religious leaders they were addicted to the power that they had the authority that they had the bottom line is just simply this they did not want someone else to have authority over them that's why they were trying to eliminate Jesus it's it's frightening isn't it how how easily we become like these religious leaders and we want to eliminate Jesus it, we don't necessarily want to like deliver him up to the authorities. We just want to eliminate him from our day. We just want to kind of go on our day, doing our own thing, on our own way. We just, we just want kind of eliminating Jesus. We just want to forget about him. We just kind of want to ignore him. We just want him to be a part of our lives, but not the authority over our lives. And, and when that happens, we too uh, become like these uh, religious leaders. It's interesting, Jesus said, give to, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So, pay Caesar the taxes, and give to God what is God's. And, and what he does is he says, he says, hold up this, he holds up this coin, whose, whose inscription is on it? Caesar. And then he says, give to God what is God's. Well, what is God's? What, is, what, is, what does God own? Have you, have you answered this question in your heart of hearts for yourself? What does God own? What, is, what does God have rights to? If Caesar had rights to the taxes because of the, the governing authority he was in, um, what does God have rights to? Well, the, the, I mean, the, the implication is, is, is God has authority over, over all. So the question for us is, is, have we come to that place in our lives where we've said God owns everything and God has authority over everything in my life. This is, what it means, this is what it means to call Jesus Lord. This is what it means to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's for God to have the authority over your life. That's when, when, when Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar. So pay him, pay him his taxes. Give to God what is God's. He silenced the, relig the religious leaders. Because they understood God, God has ultimate authority. 
That means we are to give ourselves to God. It's really interesting how, what Jesus does here. He picks up the coin and he says, look at, look at the image on the, on the, on the coin. Whose, whose image is on there? You know, Caesar, Caesar's. Tiberius Caesar, I guess. Is. And he says, give to God's what is God's. Over in Genesis chapter 1, the religious leaders would have immediately understood when Jesus said, whose image is on this coin? Immediately their minds would have gone back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And this is the creation account where God created man. And he says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So if you have a, if you have a coin, just pick the coin up. I think everybody has a coin. Can you imagine this moment? Jesus like holds up a Daenerys whose image is on it. Caesar's image is on it. So they're, they're looking at a coin whose image is on it. Caesar's image is on it. And immediately their minds are going back to Genesis 1 going, whose image is on us? God's image is on us. We're creating the image of God. This, this coin, Caesar, <laughs> pay taxes to Caesar. His inscription is on it. But we've been created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And so we belong to God. It says it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 through 20. Or do you not know Paul's writing to the church at Corinth? about sexual immorality, and he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So, so we have this dynamic going on in terms, of, in terms of who governs our life, who rules our life, who rules our moments, our minutes, and our days. And Jesus here is speaking to the religious leaders saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God what is God's. And you're God's. You belong to God because you're created in the image of God. You belong to God. And now here Paul writes, after Jesus goes to the cross, after Jesus is risen from the dead, after Jesus has filled his people with his spirit, Paul writes and he says, do you not know? You're bought with a price. You are not your own. Have you ever wrestled with this reality? That you don't belong to you? <laughs> hey, have you ever grappled with that? That, that your decisions are not your decisions? That, that you're not to govern your own life? And why is that? It's because we were created in the image of God. We belong to God. And then God sent his son Jesus to purchase us out of our sin and our rebellion. We belong to God's twice. I used to tell this story all the time. I don't think I've told it here before. But there's this story that I read as a teenager about a little boy that built a, a, little, uh, a little boat. He kind of, you know, just crafted almost like a pine wood derby kind of a, a boat. And he builds a boat and he takes it out one day um, to see if it'll float. And he loved his boat so much he carved his initials in the bottom of the boat. He takes his boat out and it actually floated. And he was like, oh my God, my boat floats. And the wind picks it up and it takes it away. And he's thinking it's going to come back, and the wind takes it away. And then the boat is completely out of sight, and he loses his, his boat. Well, weeks later, he's walking in downtown, and he looks in this little shop, and he sees his boat in the shop. It's his boat that he built. And he's so excited. <laughs> so he goes in to get his boat, 
And he picks it up, and he's on his way out the store. He's like, this is mine. This is my boat. And, and the store owner's like, hey, excuse me, you're going to have to pay for that. And the little boy said, no, this is, my, this is my boat. I made it. And he turned it over, and he said, look, see, here's my initials that I put on the bottom of the boat. I, I put my inscription right here on the bottom of the boat. He says, I'm sorry, you're, you're going to have to pay for that. So the, so the little boy goes, and he saves up, saves up two weeks of allowance, and he comes back. He brings all of his money, and he lays it on the counter, and he says, here, and he takes his boat back. He made it, and then he bought it back. That's what God's done with us. He made us, he made us in his image, and then he sent his son to buy us back into a relationship with him. We belong to God twice. So that's why we're to yield authority in our life to Jesus. So Jesus cares about our attitude. Jesus cares about our thought life. Those things are to be under his authority. We're to ask, where does Jesus want us to live? And where does Jesus want us to go to college and who does Jesus want us to be in relationship with and who does Jesus want us to be in friendships with in this particular text the religious leaders were what do we do with our money Jesus cares about what we do with our money and we see this over in chapter 21 I want you to see this Um, look at this with me chapter 21 Jesus here shortly after he, he answers this question of the religious leaders. He uses this real-life illustration to drive home his point. Verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. He's, he's pointing to this real life example of this woman who gives everything that she has to say, here's an example of a woman who was giving to God's what was God's. What belongs to God? All of it. And she literally gave all of it. The, 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 the whole point that Jesus is making here is it, it's not... He's not saying every one of us need to go empty our bank accounts and give it all to to Jesus. But he's saying, don't miss that you belong to Jesus. And every decision you make is to be governed under the authority of Jesus. You are not in charge of you. And this sweet widow who gives all that she has, Jesus celebrates her. Jesus commends her because she got it. She got it. I belong to Jesus. Everything I have, I owe to Jesus. It belongs to Jesus. Um, so church, what do you, what do you have? Is it your thoughts, your attitudes, your relationships that you've not yet submitted to Jesus? Can I just tell you how overjoyed I am and I just how I want to celebrate you church? In the month of May, uh, we gave more to our general budget in the month of May as a church than we ever have in the history of our church. It's amazing. Would you just celebrate that with me this morning? It's awesome. Now we've, had, we, now, we've had a couple of months where there's been some large gifts to our, to our building fund that have, been, that have turned out to be a larger month of giving. But last month, you, church, you gave more in one month than we've ever given in the history of our church in one month to our general budget. So way to go. You, you know what that tells me? It tells me that many of us have taken our money and have said, Lord, it belongs to you. And Lord, I'm just your steward. It all belongs to you. 
and, I, and I'm going to invest your money in your mission. So if you've not yet done that, I want to challenge you today to pray about that. I want to challenge you today to consider that. I want you to hold up that coin that I gave you. Emily's going to come and, and help us to prepare for the Lord's Supper this morning. I want you to, to look at that coin. I want you to find the phrase. I know that some of you, it'll be difficult to read this, so God bless you. Um, apologies that you didn't get a quarter um, if you got a penny. But see if you can find the phrase, in God we trust, on, on, on the coin. Would you just see if you can find it? I was looking for it this morning. I was like, wait, I don't see it on the penny. And I had to turn it over and look really hard, and there it is. Have you found the phrase, in God we trust? Isn't it amazing that the very coins that we carry in our pocket, they have an inscription on them that declares, in God we trust, and yet some of us don't trust God with the coins that we carry. The coins are declaring a message about our heart, but our heart does not align with the message that the coin is declaring. Friends, today is a new day. Today is an opportunity for you to begin to trust the Lord in an area that's, that's more difficult than most areas, trusting the Lord with our finances. The religious leaders wanted to trip up Jesus. So they used this, they used this question about, about, do we give to Caesar? What's Caesar? And Jesus, in his answer, he says, God has all authority. God has all authority. He says, look at the coin. Whose image is on it? Whose image is on it? And immediately they're like, oh, we're, God's image is on us. We belong to God. Listen, friends, everything you are and everything you have, it belongs to God. Are you trusting him with it? Are you trusting him with it? Maybe you've never given to the Lord as an act of worship. Today could be your day. And what I want you to know is there's so much joy in trusting the Lord with your finances. It's tough. It is tough. Maybe you've gotten out of the habit. Um, uh, maybe it's, your giving's just been sporadic. And perhaps the Spirit of God will speak to your heart today to say, you know what? Everything I do have belongs to God. I, I belong to God. It's time I begin to trust Him with the money that He's entrusted to me. This, this principle of trusting and in, in entrusting to the Lord the authority um, of everything, it's, it's everything. It's not just our money, it's everything. Um, this, uh, this week... Uh, Friday, the Supreme Court um, issued an overturning of Roe versus Wade. And many of us celebrate this great reality in our country that um, the constitutional right to abortion has been eliminated and has now been returned to the states. We celebrate this because we believe life is precious. And we believe that this is going to lead to the saving of millions of lives in our country. And we celebrate this great reality. Um, most of us know that um, everybody, and perhaps even everybody here this morning, doesn't celebrate that. Perhaps there's some that, that feel like it's an infringement upon, upon their rights. Perhaps it, perhaps it instills fear in their heart. And what I just want to say to you this morning, church, about this is the way we disagree with others reveals where our heart is. The way we disagree with others reveals really a, a lot about our spiritual maturity, the way we disagree with others. If we disagree with an understanding, a, a spirit of seeking to understand where someone's coming from. Um, you don't have to demonize someone that you disagree with. And often as the church, we lose our witness when we 
demonize others that we disagree with. So church, today I celebrate the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I never thought I would see it. Praise God, our faith was, my faith was small. Um, I'm so thankful. I, I, I read a, <laughs> I wanted to bring, I wanted, Emily, I wanted to bring your, your daughter Cora up here because I read a stat last night of the, um, of the percentage of Down syndrome baby, babies that are aborted. And Steve and Emily have a precious little Down syndrome uh, little girl named Cora. And uh, she's, I feel like she's like the mascot of real life. The book of James says you're not supposed to have favorites, but I think Cora's my favorite. <laughs> um, and I'm so thankful that, at least in the state of Tennessee, that there won't be any legally Down syndrome babies aborted. Hallelujah. Praise God. Um, but church, can I just call us to a, a high road of 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 disagreeing with love and compassion and understanding of anybody that we might disagree with. In this very room, there's going to be differing, uh, differing thoughts, feelings about this. Um, so let's be gentle. It's the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Let's be gentle and, um, in, in how we navigate these complex and difficult uh, issues of our day. Um, so, uh, so as we think about Jesus' authority over our life, how we disagree comes under his authority. So I ask you that, that. The way you take your stand on issues, is it under Jesus' authority? In gentleness, in kindness, in love? Or is it riddled with worldly anger? Uh, we're going to come and prepare for the Lord's Supper. And uh, the night before Jesus was betrayed, he served the Lord's Supper. And I want to read from Matthew, uh, Matthew 26. You don't have to turn there, just listen to this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink, drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is a, a meal, a celebration meal, where we celebrate Jesus' uh, crucifixion, his resurrection, that he poured out his blood for us. It's a remembrance meal. We remember him the sacrifice that he made, the love that he has for us. We, we stop everything that we're doing and we fix our eyes upon the cross and resurrection and we remember Jesus. Um, I want to invite you this morning to prepare your heart to come to the Lord's table. So we're just going to remain seated for a few minutes and just ponder. And as we remain seated, I just want, I just want you to ponder what are the areas in your life that you need to yield authority to Jesus. It's your friendships, it's your finances, it's your attitudes. What, what is it that you want to just realign with the Lordship of Jesus? Take some time alone in his presence, contemplating, praying, preparing your heart to come to the table. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.